Welcome to the Big Green Politics Podcast. We are back with a special episode on COP24 at Katowice. Hundreds of civil society members and state representatives from all around the world came together in Prokop, the 2018 UN Climate Change Conference of Parties, aka the Parties to the Kyoto Protocol. The priority outcome, you may ask? That'd be the finalization of the rulebook on how to implement the commitments state made in Paris back in 2015. As in the run-up to the conference, several reports have painted a stark picture of our planet's current state and future. Stakes and the expectations are higher than they've ever been. But COP24 is also important for another reason. It's held in Poland. Poland where coal mining has a long and storied history. Poland, where according to the European Environment Agency, some 50,000 people die due to air pollution each year. Poland, where, as ranked by the World Health Organization in 2016, 33 of Europe's 50 most polluted towns are located. Many questions arise. What is the Polish government's position on all of this? Will Poland use this momentum to end their dependency on coal? How do the Polish Greens and civil society fight the fight for a just transition of the Polish society in the process of shifting from coal to renewable energy sources? I explore these questions with Mirka Stepien, the General Secretary of the Polish Green Party, Partia Zieloni. Enjoy. Thank you, Milka, for coming out to the podcast. Uh, thank you for inviting me. I'm sure you're a bit tired as well, like me, because we were both at the COP24 Climate Justice March yesterday. We shouted, we marched, we resisted. So I want to first get your opinion on, on that experience. What was your personal reason to be there and how do you think it went? Uh, my very personal reason is my daughter. I, I have a four-year-old daughter, and um, I'm worried sometimes about what her future will look like. And this is actually one of the main reasons why uh, recently I've gotten uh, so strongly involved in politics and in green politics. And uh, on, a, on a wider scale, um, we wanted the green presence um, and our attendance there to be as high as possible. So uh, we try to get as many Greens from uh, from Poland, from Europe and globally to be there and show how important this issue is for us, that it's uh, our priority at the moment. Um, and in terms of how it went, I think it went uh, pretty well. I mean, uh, from our perspective, the march itself was happy event uh, in, in some ways. Of course, it was a lot about trying to uh, change things that are very difficult to change. And I think a lot of the times um, climate activists, green politicians uh, are depressed about how slow uh, things are going. So sometimes we need that energy uh, from marches like this, where a lot of people get together and are saying the same thing, have the same message, and you can feel um, the power of all those people coming together and fighting for uh, something that's really important to us. In terms of uh, another aspect of how it went, I think uh, one of the downsides was uh, the amount of uh, police there, and uh, I was just more about specific. To mention that. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, and more specifically, that uh, a lot of people were stopped at the borders, but also uh, coaches coming in from different places in Poland were stopped before getting into Katowice. The the, the vehicles were searched, uh, people were uh, their documents were were checked, and uh, so some of the people were actually late for the march. Uh, I I've heard that some people uh, didn't even manage to make it at all. So um, I think this is one of the reasons why there weren't as many people as there could have been. And also at the end of the march, we had sort of a negative moments when uh, three people from the anti-capitalist bloc were, were taken in by the police. And we know they let out one of the guys yesterday, but we don't know. I don't know what happened to the other two. So uh, we're checking up on that because the march was very peaceful. There were absolutely no problems until the last stop where where suddenly something happened at the end and we couldn't move on with the march because of course the whole the whole march stopped to wait for the rest and for the people that had been left behind it was i mean it was quite an experience to see so many police there and and i mean they were in full gear uh they were prepared for riots Very um much so. Yeah, so um, I think this was a bit disconcerting, especially since, uh, I mean, I've never been to a green protest where there would be any sort of riot. So I think they were expecting a little bit slightly different crowd, which is strange because they should know what kind of protest they should be preparing for. Um, and I'm not, I mean, I'm not sure I know that um, in the main media, which is under the control of the current government, they tend to demonize ecologists. Uh, I, I mean, it's pretty pro- popular in Poland to call ecologists eco-terrorists and mm-hmm. uh, they try to give us a bad name. So um this could have also sort of they were hoping maybe that we would uh, do something to to get them all riled up and 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 something bad to happen and and that didn't happen i think the group was very positive very um they showed a lot of solidarity uh, nobody wanted to go further after after they'd uh, taken out three of uh, three of the members of the protest so i think this is very telling of what kind of people were at the protest yesterday Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to the media, I don't think they're going to say, yes, the protests were very peaceful, but we still arrested people. I'm sure that's not going to be what they will be saying. But when it comes to the police presence, I would say the number of policemen and women was almost equal to the number of actual protesters. Uh, I actually asked one of the police officers how many of them had come in. um, And he told me it was uh, 2000 police officers. Um, and to add to that, you had army uh, members. I saw them like walking around in, in sort of camouflage clothes. And uh, you also had some sort of secret, like the guys in disguise mm-hmm. walking in the crowd. You could tell who they were because uh, most of us were very colorful and uh, very involved. And then you had a few like men in dark clothes uh, yeah, trying to not very in. environmentalist yeah <laughs> yes exactly so um there were there were a few of those um i mean generally you can look at it from two perspectives so that they were trying to make sure that we we were safe or i'm not really sure i don't know what specifically they were expecting mm-hmm. and why they were expecting such a huge turnout and they prepared to such an extent so i mean we probably will never know exactly but i guess it's also important to think about what we had expected from that march as well. I mean, one, yes, we were trying to tell the participants of the summit, we're there, we see you, we're watching you, we're here just to put pressure 
on you as well in the whole process. But what I had, what I found more interesting than that was the people watching us on the pavements and from their windows and balconies mm -hmm. while we were marching. And, and to me, if at least a couple of those people Googled why we were there instead of mm -hmm. just straight up buying the state propaganda, mm -hmm. then I think that's a win. What do you think? I think so too. I mean, in Poland, uh, awareness about climate change is quite low. Uh, we've had many years of propaganda, uh, of denialist propaganda here. So even when I talk to um, some people that I know that are not so strongly involved in, in the green movement, they repeat a lot of the denialist arguments. And I think one of the biggest things we have to work on over the next couple of years is making people realize that that is propaganda and that we really do have a lot of work to do right now. This march and protest was a great way to do that. One of the tools I agree. that we could use. I agree. I mean, one of the noticeable things was that uh, a lot of uh, the people from Katowice themselves did not participate in the march, but they were looking on. And what they saw was a group of uh, peaceful protesters with a lot of women, children, uh, people who were smiling, singing, um, and talking about important things. And I think this positive message will show them that, you know, it's uh, we're, we're here to do something together. And I think that's an important message. And I think a lot of the people who were expecting maybe eco-terrorists, the, the eco-terrorists that they've heard about, uh, were surprised and they will Google it and they will read a little bit about it. So um, I'm hoping that there will be a movement forward. And I am seeing uh, more interest in, in the Greens in recent months and uh, and I think that there is something changing. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. And um, enough about the protest of March, and let's go into more darker stuff in policy. At the UN summit, the, the, the participants were greeted with a shrine of actual coal, and not only that, but, but also different products made from coal. Coal made into soap, coal made into earrings, other jewelry, coal under glass, mm -hmm. coal in cages, just lots and lots of coal were mm -hmm. displayed while the Polish coal miners band, dressed in smart black uniforms, wearing traditional miners caps, mm -hmm. plate for the delegates arriving at the convention center. And when you look at the sponsors of the event, you see coal companies. So mm -hmm. considering all of these factors, should we and can we expect real results and actions to be taken from the summit? Or is it just all symbolic? Um, well, I think even more worrying than this. I mean, if, because if you had this, but it was sort of approached differently as maybe part of um, Silesian history, because uh, Silesia or Katowice, where you have the, the summit, uh, is uh, a coal mining, a hard coal mining region, and it's been so for many years. So you have a huge coal history there. But um, over the last 30 years, a lot of the coal mines have been closed down. And what has been created uh, around this is sort of like a post-industrial, post-industrial museums, post-industrial and post-mining memorial, I would say, in a way. At the same time, you still have working coal mines. So, I mean, if, if all of these exhibitions had been to show, you know, okay, we're moving away from coal uh, but we want to thank our predecessors for what they did for the region, this would be fine because you, you have uh, coal mine uh, museums in the region where this is precisely what they do. Unfortunately, this 
symbolism was not only about that. It was pretty much emphasized by what uh, the Polish government was saying publicly. So uh, you had uh, the, the prime minister talking about the continuation of uh, of call. You had uh, the Polish uh, president, uh, Andrzej Duda, talking about how we have enough coal for another 200 years of exploitation, etc., etc. So uh, unfortunately, this exhibition uh, of coal was to show that we are sticking to coal according to the Polish current Polish government. So this is where the main issue is, and this is where you have this strong feeling of dissonance between what the COP summit should be and what it has actually turned out to be. And I think this unfortunately will show that this COP uh, summit will most probably not achieve any results. And the most depressing thing is, is that there were at least some minor hopes that uh, the Polish government would sort of be forced to have a more ecologically minded uh, message and actually tackle uh, climate issues, uh, while they've chosen to skirt around them and uh, to stick to the idea that uh, we are maintaining coal as our main source of energy. And I think this was very depressing for a lot of the people who were at the COP summit and who heard these things and who saw let's say, this um, fetish, fetishizing of, of coal, uh, which was very obvious during the COP summit. Absolutely. And I guess what we were expecting to see or hoping to see was a statement or action that would imply that, hey, yes, coal is a part of our history, but it's is not going to be a part of our future. Exactly. Then, yeah. But well, that's then, what we were hoping. <laughs> yes, exactly. But then, um, on the contrary, we heard statements saying, yeah, like you said, 200 years, or even in the days before the UN summit, uh, the Ministry of Energy of Poland published its draft energy policy until 2040. And in this draft policy, the, the Ministry of Energy plans to invest in new coal capacity next year. But it's not even just coal, is it? The same draft energy strategy stated that Poland's first nuclear power station will be launched in 2033, and five more will follow. So then, why is a state depending on coal striving to become dependent on the atom or nuclear? Uh, well, that's a very complex question with a very complex answer. So the, uh, the PEP, Polish Energy Policy uh, 2040, is... It's a very strange document. Um, it is a draft document, uh, and um, uh, a lot of groups will be sending in their comments, uh, though generally the Polish Greens consider that it just should be completely rewritten because uh, it's, it's very bad. In terms of coal, uh, generally the whole issue with uh, the Polish approach, and this is not necessarily a new thing, this is something that has been going on for the last, I would say, even 20, 30 years, the whole issue with coal is that it's mythologized or, or considered to be the uh, the basis of our energy security. So, and, and this is for, but primarily because uh, until very recently, uh, this was the only form of energy that we had on our own. 
that we did not have to take from any other country. Um, and this is why the Polish uh, energy um, sector is so strongly dependent on coal. But uh, what has to be noticed is, uh, what should be emphasized is that uh, the PEP is not actually based on fact. Because if you look into the specifics of the Polish energy sector, we are importing large amounts of uh, coal from Russia at the moment, uh, because uh, the remainder of our hard coal is very low quality, and uh, it's extracted at a very uh, large depth. Uh, I think at the moment, the deepest mines are at uh, 1,300 meters, uh, so they're over a kilometer deep. And this is also in regions where you have uh, a lot of, these are agglomerations, so you have people living above ground, uh, right above these uh, these coal mines. So, I mean, these are huge issues. Um, so it's extremely expensive to extract this coal. And in fact, if you look at it from the perspective of the economy, there's no possibility that uh, we will have enough coal for 200 years of exploitation and extraction. Uh, we probably have for about 30 years. Uh, and this is something that uh, Polish geologists uh, talk about extensively. I mean, if you talk with uh, various People who know about our coal deposits around Poland, they they will tell you that we're going to be backing out of coal anyway. Uh, so why are they continuously talking about coal? Well, for one thing, you have, and this is also in uh, noticeable during the, the sponsoring the COP24, you had uh, the coal companies, you had energy companies, and all of these companies are state-owned. The government is very much afraid of losing control over the energy sector. So this is why they're afraid of diversification and of energy that would be in the hands of the citizens for some reason. It's, it's very strange, but this is one of the issues that, that appears. They're also afraid of moving away from coal because then they will become um, dependent on gas. They're uh, not very trusting of Europe. And, and I think especially of Germany, um, uh, but this is uh, also, I think, unfortunately, um, a result of a very bad decision made by Germany to introduce the Nord Stream, which bypassed Poland. So for this reason, this sort of agreement between Germany and Russia that bypassed Poland was aggravating for some of the trust issues that Poland has in terms of energy. And why do they want the atom? Because they want centralized power uh, source, sources. So this is why they want to exchange centralized um, energy sector based on coal by another centralized energy sector, which would be based on the atom, because this is what they know. They're afraid of losing. So, I mean, you can also see this uh, on the example of uh, wind, wind power. So in the PEP 20, 2040, they're talking about building offshore wind power. And this, of course, is uh, quite expensive in terms of uh, initial investments. So it would be probably done by state-owned energy companies. While at the same time, the PEP 2040 talks about getting rid of onshore and on-land wind uh, turbines. And they've recently, in, in recent years, done a lot against our on-land wind uh, turbines. So the, the, it's become increasingly difficult to build new wind tar turbines. And they ha haven't been really very helpful in in supporting people who want to invest in wind turbines. So over the last couple of years, uh, we've actually had um, a fall in the amount of uh, wind turbines that have been introduced in Poland. And this is because of legislation that was introduced in 2016 by the current government. So this all shows that one of the things they're very much afraid of is that they will lose lose control over the energy sector, uh, which is, of course, against current trends, because the current trend is 
heading towards decentralizing energy and uh, mm-hmm. towards um, people producing, uh, making their own energy and creating networks made up of small energy plants or, um, I don't know, or, or creating your own personal energy at home. This seems to be their main issue, that they're very much afraid of losing uh, control of all of this. That's why they want to introduce these big nuclear power plants. Mm-hmm. And what about Poland's strong mining labor unions? Does that play a role in yes. political yes. power not being able to take on them? Um, yes, especially because uh, their protests are not as peaceful as ours. I myself am I'm from a lignite mining region, so I can talk a little bit about that later. But uh, the main protesters, the main protests were linked to uh, the Silesia region, where they have uh, strong uh, mining uh, unions, hard coal miners. And uh, over the years, there have been a couple of protests uh, which were very violent. I mean, there were car tires being uh, burnt in the streets of Warsaw and And uh, so it's also a huge election in terms of election base of people that vote for certain parties. So they're very much afraid of losing this. At the same time, it's a little bit of a myth because over the last uh, 30 years, you have had the whole uh, hard coal mining sector restructurized, which means basically that there have been a lot of uh, losses and jobs in both the hard coal and the lignite uh, coal mining sector. And uh, a lot of it was done without much preparation. So uh, you didn't have a just transition in most cases. And uh, the what, what's basically been going on is the mining sector has been restructurized without um, them actually stating it publicly. So, for example, um, at the moment, we have 21 um, hard coal mines in Poland, 12 of which will be closed down within the next couple of years. Mm-hmm. So even though publicly they're saying that they're not going to be moving away from coal, in fact, it's going to happen anyway. Yeah. When we try to address Poland's unique history with mining, just transition, just like you mentioned, it often comes up because, yeah, it is a community with long mining history and they're voicing their concerns Mm -hmm. over the use of renewable energy sources. But Mm -hmm. I guess at this point, the issue of just transition is also being used as a tool to slow down the whole process of transitioning into a green economy. I don't know if you would agree, but I was uh-huh. wondering how Greens can frame their position on this in a way that that will allow them not only to offer substantial solutions and policy proposals for a just transition, but uh-huh. also to keep the process going no matter what at the same time. Um, well, I, I'm actually working on that in, in my region. So my region's um, this is in the uh, eastern greater Poland uh, region of, of Poland. It's a lignite mining region. Since 1990, it's lost about uh, 70% of uh, its jobs in the mining sector and the coal-fired energy uh, energy sector. And I mean, basically, my region has one of the highest unemployment rates. It has high migration rates. Uh, it's very typical for a coal mining and um, uh, energy plant uh, region. But at the same time, for the last 30 years, it has pretty much been left to itself. So uh, there has been no plan in place about what to do. 
and uh, the issues are becoming increasingly uh, more uh, difficult uh, because you have the rising uh, prices of uh, coal emissions, uh, CO2 emissions. So this influences how uh, the local energy plant works because, of course, lignite uh, emits more. So it's harder hit by such issues. So from my perspective working here, um, uh, one of the things I try to do is to make sure that all of the people that should be involved in the process are involved. And this is what I'm working on right now, because a lot of the time the, the authorities tend to skip people that they don't think are very important in terms of elective uh, voices. So you don't really have, for example, the farmers uh, from the region invited who have been hard hit by open pit mines. So I think in terms of green policy, it's pushing for just transition that makes sure that everyone is taken into account, that is involved in the process, knows what's going on. And that includes miners, because one of the things I've heard from local miners is that, um, okay, we understand that we're going to be moving away from coal, because I think actually the politicians understand this less than people who are here on the ground. They know uh, about what's what's going on because it influences them directly. So what they want to know is they want to know specifics. When are we closing down the mines? Uh, when are we closing down the energy plant? What should we do next? And this is something that I've been trying to push forward uh, here in, in my region so that um, there is certainty. a timetable. Yes. A lot of them are, I would say, more knowledgeable than some of the politicians I've met. So they they know about climate change. They know about emissions. They know about um, the issues with coal and with uh, coal prices at the moment. And they need a timeline. They need, they need a time frame. They need to know what will happen to their jobs, to their families, uh, to the region. And so I think from our perspective, what we need to push is... For a just fund, I know that the European Greens are working on a just transition fund uh, that can help regions like mine, which would very specifically go towards very specific goals so that it wouldn't be spent, for example, on um, greenwashing because you have a lot of greenwashing mm. attempts in Poland, but would be spent specifically on the needs of these people who are in the region and who want to know what their next step will be, what their future will look like. Because if you go in and say, okay, we'll just build lots of uh, solar panels here, and you go over to a miner and you tell him this, and he tells you, you know, I've worked in the mines for 30 years. I, I don't know anything about renewable energy sources. Yeah. I need you to help me. So uh, to keep it in contact with the people and not just a policy that is um, abstract and that doesn't take into account very specific issues, uh, very specific local issues, like the drying up of lakes in my region, right? So this is something that needs to be taken into account in, in the just transition process in my area. I think Greens have this approach, that they look about at, at things on a wider scale, on a more comprehensive scale. And I think that's what we can bring to the table. Because a lot of what you hear from other political actors on the scene is very much focused on the economy, on business. While it's not all about that, uh, a lot of these issues are social issues. A lot of these issues are about making people feel safe and making them feel that they are part of the process, that they know what's going on and that somebody is talking to them and taking them into account, that their voices are being heard. Yeah. And this sounds like an issue that obviously Greens are taking on and working on, but also sounds like it's a core issue of civil society it's grassroots yes. so what kind of actions are they taking the civil society organizations and and are you polish greens 
cooperating、uh-huh. with them. Uh, yes, very strongly.、Um, most of the Polish Greens are rooted somehow in civil societies.、Uh, I'm involved in、uh, two local organizations. One of them is a feminist organization, and the other one is participatory democracy. A lot of the background of most of the Greens in Poland is like that.、Uh, a lot of us are lo-、uh, linked to the Smog Alerts,、uh, which are groups that are fighting smog in Poland,、uh, with ecological、mm-hmm. organizations, and we cooperate strongly with them.、Um, I mean, there's been I think this is always an issue. There's a bit of distrust between organizations and the, those of us who decide to go into politics because they're afraid of mixing、uh, these two issues. On another hand, at a certain point, when you're、um, when you're doing mostly activism and you're working、uh, within NGOs, at a certain point you reach the sort of glass ceiling where you can't go any further because nobody's listening to you、uh, on the other side. The politicians are not listening to you, so、uh, that's why a lot of、uh, the people who start out in Organizations go into green politics because they want somebody on the other side who will listen to them and who will connect. And I think this is very much true of Poland. And I, I personally work with a lot of、uh, organizations that deal with、uh, the energy transition and climate issues. And we've developed a lot of trust between each other. We do a lot of work together. And I think the main thing is to be very upfront. About how we can connect these different things,、uh, being direct about who you are, why you're in politics, and about why you need to find common ground and work together because we do have the same aims. And speaking of politics and Polish Greens,、mm-hmm. Poland just had local elections, and、mm-hmm. the Greens can be said to have done moderately well.、Mm-hmm. So, would it be right if we said? The green wave is now taking place in Poland, or will be taking place in Poland soon. And if so, what are the Polish Greens doing to build a structure upon this wave so that it won't fade away? Well, these last elections were well. We, I mean, we've been working on a plan for the last two years.、Uh, we worked on the plan to to、uh, participate in these last local elections, and we're. Um, we're very proud of ourselves because it was a lot of hard work. So、uh, mm-hmm. we're happy that、uh, we managed to、uh, make a bit of a splash.、Um, it's definitely not、uh, a huge success, but from our perspective, it was a movement forward. And over the last couple of months, we've seen a huge increase、um, of memberships coming in. So the green movement in Poland is growing. I think、uh, there are probably about、uh, twice as many、uh, members as we had even a year ago.、Uh, generally, this year has seen an increase in、uh, green membership. So I think it's not only connected to the elections, but also to green issues being more important. Like I said, we've had a lot of very bad、uh, ecological decisions in Poland over the last couple of years. So this has also influenced,、uh, made people notice. Uh, how important these issues are, also from the political perspective.、Uh, right now, there's a lot of trees being cut in Poland, in towns, in villages,、uh, in the countryside, but also in national parks. So this has made people more aware and more willing to get involved.、Um, so I would say yes, there is more. There are more people、uh, ready to to take on politics as a way of、uh, achieving results and changes in the ecological、um, sphere. And、um, The next elections. So next year we have the Euro Parliamentary European Parliament、uh, elections, and we have、uh, the, our Polish parliamentary elections in the same year.、Uh, there's about four months in between, so it's going to be very intense. 
we are preparing. Uh, we hope that uh, this will be another step forward. And uh, we hope that next year we will be able to say that we have uh, our first Polish parliamentaries. And also, ho hopefully, we'll also be able to join the European Greens in the European Parliament. But at the moment, it's very hard to say exactly uh, whether we will be running independently as our own uh, election group or whether we will have to go into some sort of coalition because the uh, political scene in the moment is uh, in Poland is quite complicated and, it, and it's changing very rapidly over the course of even two or three weeks. So uh, we'll be able to tell you more about that over the next couple of months, I would say, probably by March. There, there will be more coherence about what's going on. Um, uh, and the structures, yes, because uh, yes. that's important. So um, as we're having an increase in the number of people joining us, uh, a lot of the work we're doing at the moment, and uh, this is what our uh, co-chair people are doing. So uh, Marek Kosakowski and Gosia Trapsz uh, at the moment are traveling a lot around uh, Poland and helping people to set up local structures. Uh, so over the course of the next two months, uh, as far as we've counted, we'll probably have another 15 new local groups. So this is showing how quickly we're growing. I would say that we've had a couple of hundred people join the party over the last um, six months or so. Wow. So it is yeah, it is huge. I mean, um, uh, and also a lot of people are just interested in, in what we're doing and uh, trying to find out. Last year, we prepared a very broad program, the Polish Greens program, which is the basis for uh, all our political movements over the last few months. And so the important things are that we focused on what we consider to be the most important issues and what people consider to be the most important issues, which is smog. Uh, so we have a whole separate chapter on smog. We have the energy transition as a separate chapter. And we're focusing very strongly on these ecological aspects because, in our opinion, even if other uh, parties take up this topic, uh, they don't prioritize it. While we do, we always prioritize fighting against climate change and uh, the energy transition uh, and fighting for an earth, an environment in which we can live and, and be healthy. Yeah, great point to end on. And uh, fingers crossed. Good luck with the elections as well. I'm sure thank we'll you. hear more about that from you soon. And uh, thank you again, Milka, for coming out to the podcast. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to talk to you too. And I hope uh, next year we'll be able to talk as Greens who have actually managed to get in somewhere <laughs> and, and start changing things. Fingers crossed. Thank you. All right, folks, if you enjoyed that interview, check out our previous interviews on topics like European politics and political ecology, or the link between race equality and environmentalism. You can follow us on Twitter at BigGreenPopPod, and if you haven't already, subscribe to the show so you can hear it every two weeks. You can find us on any podcast platform. Thanks so much, and see you in two weeks.